You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Good morning, church family. Hey, if uh, my name's Pastor Chris. Actually, my name's not Pastor Chris. My name's just Chris. That was weird. Um, I am the pastor here. If this is your first time or first couple of times with us, you're a guest of ours. Thank you so much for coming to church with us. At the end of the service, we have a connection desk out in the lobby. We'd love for you to swing by there. We have a gift for you uh, just to say, hey, thanks for coming to church, and we'd love to, to get to know you more. So uh, if, if you've enjoyed or you do enjoy the service and our time together and you're interested in maybe getting a seat at the table, which we call membership here, we'd love to connect with you out in the service or after the service out in the lobby. As Lydia read for us, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, so go ahead and turn your Bibles there with us. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we would love for you to have one. We have one of our ushers in the back. He will bring you a copy of God's Word if you'll just slip up your hand. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Take it home. Read it. It's amazing. It'll change your life. So turn with me there, Luke chapter 7, verse 11. I love just hearing really good, encouraging stories. And I read one recently this past week about a story of a, of a woman who unfortunately was, was recently divorced, but at the same time lost her employment situation. And so she was really struggling to figure out how she, how she was going to put food on the table and provide for her family. And at about that same exact time, she would open up her front door every morning and there would be a package of food every single day on her front doorstep. And this went on for days. And days became weeks. And then weeks eventually turned into a couple of months until she found viable employment. And then she no longer needed the package. And I don't know about you, but that to me is just a really encouraging moment. And she never found out who was helping her. They just, out of the bottom of their their heart, heard, found out about her situation in some way, shape, or form, never went up to her and said, hey, here's what's going on. Let me get the credit. She just, they just needed, uh, they just wanted to help her, and so she was helped through that situation. She she received some compassion from someone. And as I listened to that story, I I was overjoyed uh, for the person who could do that and for her situation, but I was also kind of in a a moment of uh, questioning, I wonder if our church would be those type of people. I I wonder if the community at large would ever see churches and people be those type of people. I, I wonder what would happen if we became a people who the community knew what we stood for more than what we stood against. Like, I wonder if people really thought of Christians in the way that we talk about, how we love God and love people. So I don't know if people really think about Christians that way, right? They think of us as those people who tell you what you can and cannot do, and if you do the things that you're not supposed to do, well, then you just go to hell. Like, that's, that's how most people, I think, outside of the church think about Christians, but I think most people inside the church we, we think about a lot more than the do's and the don'ts. Lord willing, we do, right? We, th- we think about the, the grace and the freedom and the joy that we received in Christ. And we're no longer under this law and this condemnation, but we've been set free from those things. And, and from that freedom, we operate from a place of love and a place of joy and a place of giving. What if we could be that type of church? Uh, and I'm here to say, I don't know if you know this or not about Piedmont, but in so many ways, 
We are that type of church. Just recently, there was a woman in our church who had been going through a very difficult time. She got some tough news uh, about a loss in her family, something she had been really fighting for a victory for. Unfortunately, she received a loss, and then she goes home to see that both of her freezers, stocked full of food, maybe deer meat, I don't even know what was in the, in the freezers, both freezers had completely you know, put out on her, they quit, and so all of the, the, the meat and the food that she had been storing up in these freezers spoiled. And a group of our, our church folks, I think mostly primarily women, gathered together and they came up with over $600 to help provide her with some resources to get back on her feet in this situation. I've heard of stories where people have, uh, you know, loss or they've gained a child in the family. And we have several people in our church who've come together to go, hey, let's throw a baby shower. Let, let's, let's provide food in this situation. Let's love on these people who are in either the highest highs of their life or in the lowest lows. How can we help them and celebrate with them in different moments? I know of a couple in our church that has dog sat. People, you know, I don't know if you have a dog. Raise your hand if you have a dog. Okay, raise your hand if you like your dog. No, I'm just kidding. So some of us have a dog, and we don't necessarily, like, love our dog. Like, I like my dog, but if he went to live at somebody else's house and lived a perfect life, I would be perfectly good with that, right? <laughs> because here's the thing. When I go on vacation or go out of town, you know what I got to worry about? That dog. Like, I don't have to worry about, what are my kids doing? They're coming with me. It's an easy thing. But what is that dog doing? I'm going to go to Texas in a couple days, and I'm sitting here going, what is my dog going to do while I'm in Texas? i got to find a dog sitter. That's going to cost me more money. Is he going to chew stuff up? Is he going to bite somebody? He's never bit anybody. But, you know, if he did, that'd make it easy, right? Anyway, so... <laughs> PETA, I apologize. So, um, I know a couple in our church who has watched people's dogs, like, at, at the drop of a hat. They, they, they've had something come up, they've had to go out of town, and they said, man, we'll take your dog free of charge, don't worry about it. I, I know story after story of people who have dug trenches, painted houses, fixed air conditioning systems, and none of it has been for money. All of it has just been to love on someone else, to show compassion. And I love our church family for that. Because that, that's what family looks like, isn't it? I mean, family isn't that thing where we do somebody a favor and then we're like, now you owe me one, right? It isn't that moment where we're constantly nickel and diming every situation, although sometimes kids can feel like that, right? Like, we, hey, you, you, you're using my Netflix, let me use your Amazon Prime account, and vice versa. And then when they say, well, you spent too much money on this thing, well, I'll get you back next month. But anyway, our church does a really good job at supporting each other. In this morning's text, I just want to use this as an opportunity to encourage you, not only to keep it up, but maybe if you're finding yourself in a situation this morning where you're going, I need some encouragement, or I'm not involved in some of that compassion that you're talking about, I want to encourage you to get involved. There's a lot of different ways to love somebody in the world, and we've got a lot of great people here who do it really well. We are called to have compassion. And here's the difference between compassion and empathy. Do you understand? So empathy is this, this idea where I hear you. I, I can sympathize with you. I can understand your situation. But empathy doesn't necessarily do, right? Compassion is empathy in action. As Christians, we are certainly called to have empathy. 
We're called to be people who understand and see from your perspective and, and get the struggles of your life. Whether you agree with us or not, whether it's across party lines, whether it's across whatever it is, we should be able to see somebody else in the world and go, I see you. You, you, you matter. You're an image bearer of God. Even if we disagree on everything else, I can agree on this with myself, whether you agree or not, you were made in the image of God, and so you have value, period. And that's sort of empathy. But here's where compassion comes in. See, empathy stops right there, and compassion comes in and says, I see you, and I'm gonna do something to help you in this moment of loss. I'm gonna do something to help you in this situation that's difficult. I'm gonna do something to help make your life better with nothing for me to gain. In the New Testament, the word compassion is used over 12 times. And what I love about this word and what it means is Jesus really shows it to us firsthand in the Gospels. And in one place, he, he uses it in a passage that I think is overlooked. He uses it in a passage that most of us, if we've been raised in the church, we know this passage. It's a passage that some pastors got up and preached over you to talk to you about go being a missionary. He said, hey, you need to go do this because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, so go be a laborer. And we've heard those words over and over again, but we've forgotten the words that preceded, that Jesus had compassion. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. I'll have it up on the screen so I don't have to turn there. He says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Let me pause. Remember what I said last week? When Jesus comes back from this, he, he gets baptized, he goes away, he's tempted, he comes, he returns into the city and he reads from Isaiah's scroll and he does a couple of things when he reads that. What does he say? He says, I'm gonna go do what? I'm gonna proclaim, I'm gonna heal, and I'm gonna liberate. So what do you see right here in this passage? He's proclaiming, he's healing, and he's talking about liberation. And he says, when he saw the crowds of people who need stuff, people who are hurting, does he say he had empathy? Oh, I see your pain, but you can stay in your pain. No, he didn't say that. He says he had compassion because they were harassed and they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And in the middle of this issue, in the middle of seeing this drama play out, he looks at his disciples and he says, hey, you see what I'm seeing. Empathy would just have you stay where you are. But compassion has you take a step and do this thing called love. And he says what? The harvest is plentiful. See all of the hurt. But the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In so many ways, this text is absolutely proclaiming to us, hey, go preach the gospel. If you're in Christ, you should be making a proclamation of Christ in your life. But it's also showing us a different calling. It's showing us this missionary call by proclamation of the gospel, but it's also showing us a call of being a servant. We serve because Jesus served. Helpless people need help. Empathy is a good trait to have. It's, 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 it's a good thing for someone else to be heard, to be validated. But our call is not to have empathy only. It is to love people as our God loved people. 
the kind of bottom line for my message this morning is Jesus has made a way for you and I to have compassion as he had compassion. Jesus has made a way for you and I to have compassion as he had compassion. And the last three or four words of that phrase are the most important. Because I think we've seen people in the world have compassion for others outside of Christ. There are people who, who show compassion and they have no relationship with Jesus at all. And so you might be going, well, what, what makes us showing compassion any different than the person outside of Christ showing compassion? And I, I would lead you to this idea, this thought. Point back to the scriptures and see the amount of compassion and see the amount of love and effort that Jesus poured out. And I, I would say, find me someone else who's died for the people that murdered him. Find me someone else who, in the middle of being spit on and scoffed about, said, I still love you. Even while you are still doing this, I still love you. Gandhi, and I'm sure others have said that statement. Man, I love your Christ, but your Christians don't look like your Christ. What if we could have compassion like Jesus had compassion? What if we could do that? today, here and now, by the power of the Spirit of the living God. Not yet. I'm not closing. Sorry. <laughs> so let's walk through this text. Luke chapter 7, verse 11. So it begins, he says, soon afterward. So Luke, Luke is kind of setting us up here to understand where we're going, but most importantly, where we've come from. So this soon afterward phrase is this phrase that he uses so that we can recall what has just happened. And for those of you who weren't here last week or didn't listen to our podcast or whatever, maybe you just dove in, Jesus just healed a centurion soldier's servant. So this centurion, he's a Roman soldier, he has a servant who's highly valued. He cares for him deeply. He reaches out to Jesus, crossing all sorts of lines, right? Ethnic lines, cultural lines, political lines. And he reaches out to Jesus and say, hey, I've got this person that I value highly, and I think you can do something for him. Will you do something? Jesus responds, absolutely, I will. Jesus doesn't even go to the situation, but yet heals the man right where he is. And what Luke wants you and I to hear is that Jesus can heal you whether you are near or far. He doesn't have to be right next to you. Your situation can be touched by God wherever you are. He is omnipresent. And so Luke is opening up this text by reminding you of the authority and the sovereignty of Jesus in this moment. By saying, hey, soon afterward, he just healed somebody who he didn't even touch. See, there were healings that happened in those days, but a lot of times somebody had to be touched, right? There had to be medicine given. There had to be things happening. And here's Jesus saying, hey, he's healed, just like that. And so he's setting us up for this moment because it's a preparation for a big moment. So soon after this moment where something big happens, it says he went to a town called Nain. Now Nain is about 25 miles southwest of Capernaum. So if you have the Sea of Galilee right about here, he originally preaches on the Mount of the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, right around this direction. 
Just about a mile southeast is Capernaum. That's where he heals the centurion's servant. And then about a two-day travel from that point, about two days southwest, he gets to this city called Nain. The, the word Nain means kind of beauty, and it, it, it reminds you of this place that would, would have you know, kind of gardens and roses and flowers. And it would have just been a very, very quaint town. And to this day, it's still a very small town. Goes on to say, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. I love that the Holy Spirit inspires Luke to add these little phrases in there for us because it's a constant reminder that those who are around Jesus are sometimes fans and sometimes followers, right? He, he differentiates between, hey, here are the disciples of Jesus, the people who are followers, they're committed, they're all in, and here's the folks who are just kind of around to see the magic tricks because sometimes if we're honest, if we look around churches, if we look around places of service, there's a lot of folks that are all about this miraculous Jesus stuff. But we're not all about following Jesus when life gets hard. We're fans when, when he's winning. Right? But we get off the bandwagon when life isn't so good. And Luke makes sure that he reminds us, you need to be a follower of Jesus, not a fan. When the miracles happen, there's going to be a lot of clamor and a lot of noise, a lot of people who come around Jesus. Those fans, unfortunately, if they don't ever become followers, will look at him one day and he will say, I never knew you. But I healed in your name. I prophesied in your name. I, I preached in your name. I did all these great things in your name. And he's going to say, yeah, but I never knew you. I mean, you knew of me. You liked all the magic, all the miracles, the wonders, the signs, the things to you that kind of tickled the ear you weren't a committed follower. We have to be committed followers. So he gets to, to Nain, and his disciples and a great, great crowd are with him. It says, as he drawn, drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. And then he gives us information of this man. This is definitive information. This, this gives us a lot of clarity of what's happening. The only son of his mother... And she was a widow. And then a considerable crowd from the town was with her. Now, I want to unpack really quickly the kind of the significance of this funeral procession because I don't think most of us have ever been to a funeral procession like this. I, I was afforded an opportunity uh, several years ago to, to go to a funeral procession. Uh, a friend of mine, a coworker, when I worked at the Ford dealership up in Atlanta as a mechanic, this man, Mr. Lewis, he passed. He was 75 years old, I believe he was. He worked at Wade Ford for like 59 years or something like that. It was crazy. He, I think he got the job when he was in high school and worked there his entire time. He was a great man. He passed away, and in his tradition, they, they did a kind of a funeral procession, and, and it, was, it was like a party atmosphere. So they would literally put him on, his, on this cart, this beer, as you would read in the Scriptures, and they, they kind of walked him through this, this alleyway behind the funeral home, which was lined with people, and it was kind of like a party. It was kind of like a send home Mr. Lewis to heaven. He was, a, he was a follower. And so it wasn't just this sad, somber moment. It was a, it was a celebration. It was a send-off. 
And it, it, you, you may have seen parties like this in New Orleans where they have this funeral procession where uh, musicians are lined up on the street and there's oftentimes people on the, the, the bottom floor of whatever it is, but also the top floor of the hotel or whatever, and people are just kind of, this isn't Mardi Gras throwing beads kind of deal, but they're like, you know, partying. They're like, hey, we're so thankful that God gave us the time with this person, and so we're going to send them off. And this is kind of the scene. This isn't the uh, Monty Python, bring him, you dead! Bring him, you dead! Anybody sing, am, I, am I alone in that? Fantastic. I'm young. Y'all made me just feel like 75. Okay, so don't go home and watch it because it's not that entertaining unless you like British comedy. But it's not this terrible moment. It's kind of a, it's a terrible moment in, mo in, in her situation, but generally speaking, it's a celebration. Why is it a terrible moment in her situation? He points out two specific things. He says he's only the, the only son of his mother is the person who passed. And she was a widow. What do we know about the culture of that time for women? Where did they have authority? Where did they have power? Unfortunately, they only had it through a man. Now, this isn't Grecian Roman society. So this woman isn't like Lydia, who would have been a strong, powerful business owner. And in Greco-Roman society, could have made a name for herself. This is a very Israeli culture. This is, you know, kind of the heart of Jerusalem area. And so when her husband passed, she lost a lot of authority and then was entrusted to her son. And now that her son has passed, she is entrusted to no one, which means that she has no viable means of life. Her, her life is really out of her hands. She could work, the, the, the idea of democracy and pull yourself up by your bootstraps is gone for her. It's over. She can't just work hard and make something of herself. Because in this society, she needed a man to vouch for her. Now he's not endorsing this, he's just saying this is what it is. And so what happens in this moment? Jesus comes in and he sees this and he says what? And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion. In the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of the situations in our life where we feel like we have no authority, where we have no power, we have no voice, Jesus wants to come into your life and he wants to have compassion. He, wants to, he doesn't want to just empathize with you, although he can do that because why? He put on flesh and bone. He, he understands your struggles completely. See, I, I think sometimes we forget that about Jesus, right? That Jesus isn't just this high priest who never walked this earth. He, he did. He put on flesh. And he went through puberty. He went through the struggles. He, he, he went through trials. And, and, and test after test. And after every single test, what do we know? He passed them all with flying colors, perfection. And so if you're struggling to, how does this Jesus ever connect with me? He, he knows who you are. Not only did he walk in your shoes, he is literally the person who was a part of the Trinitarian creation of you. When God said that you were formed in your mother's womb, he was a part of that process. 
Father, Son, and Spirit. He knows you deeply. And so in this moment, he, he sees her brokenness. He sees that she feels like she's alone. He sees that she feels like she has nothing that she can do. And it doesn't just say, I see you. I feel you. I get you. No, what does it say? He says he has compassion. He recognizes the situation, and then he moves to action. I can only imagine you're watching this crowd of people. This is a considerable crowd, so it may even like point us to this fact that she was a, a popular person in town, or that the town like really empathized with her. Like, we understand your situation. We can't do much for you, but we understand it. And Jesus walks right into the middle of this situation. And he says, do not weep. And then he came up. I mean, can you imagine, like, somebody's pushing your son, your, your daughter, a loved one of yours, dead body. And this stranger with a whole crowd of followers walks up to you and says, hey, don't weep. And he touches the beer. That's that cart that would be rolling the body. And the bearers who are pushing the cart stood still. And he said to the dead man, young man, I say to you, Arise. And in that moment, the dead man sat up and he began to speak. He came out of that grave, right? What a glorious day. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Essentially, when he, when he does this, what is he doing? He's giving her not only a gift in her son, but he's, he's giving her, again, a place in that community, and even in the broken system that it was, a, a leg to stand on, an identity, a, a, a thing to, to say, this is who I am in this broken place of this world. He comes in our brokenness. He comes in our moments when we feel like there's nothing else that can be done. It's over. It's dead, right? How many, how many of us have seen dead things come back to life? Probably none of us. And when we have dead situations in our life, Jesus wants to come in and say, I can give it life. I can give that relationship life. I can give those finances life. I can give your pain, a rest, and give you life. I can give you forgiveness. I can give you resolve. I can give you patience. I can give you endurance. I can give you grace. I can give you joy. I can give you anything that you desire in me. And the desires of your heart, meaning the, the heart that I gave you, not the worldly desires, right? When, we, when, when the scripture says that he'll give you the desires of your heart, he's not talking about the Lambo right? He, he ain't talking about that PlayStation whatever number we're on. 
He, he's talking about the desires of a spiritually made alive person. He says, I can give this to you. And in that moment, Jesus models compassion. He models servanthood. And the message to us as Christians is that we serve because he served first. We love because he loved first. We give because he gave it all. And it wasn't just this one moment. It was this one moment that certainly changed her life. But what does the scripture go on to say? It says that all came and glorified God. Saying a great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. When you have compassion like Jesus had compassion, the glory is shown throughout. It doesn't just stay in walls. It doesn't just get put in this bottle and get capsulated. No, it gets unlocked. When we can begin to walk as Jesus walked and to model the things that he's modeled for us, we will begin to make an impact in a way that we never thought we could. I think in so many ways, when, when, I think it's Paul who says he will do abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. Like it's those moments when, when we would say, what if we became less so that he could become more and we've got ourselves a little messy and we got a little more compassionate and a little less empathetic just sitting back and going, hey, let's, let's, I can't, you know, here's what we do, right? Somebody walks up to us, they tell us a really crappy situation and we go, I'll pray for you, brother or sister. Now listen, prayers matter. They absolutely do. And I would encourage you, if that happens, you should stop and pray right then. But when he says pray for Har- for the harvest, for the more laborers, what, is it, what does he then do? He says, for them to send people. And you are the sent ones, Christian. And so when somebody walks up to you and says, my life sucks, you go, how do I make it better? How can I help you? Maybe that's what we should do. I mean, because Jesus could have looked at this woman and said, hey, Fido, forget it and drive on, right? I mean, he could have done that. Because that's sin nature. Death happens. Eh, it is what it is. Put your chin up. Because sometimes we feel like we have to do that. When life is bad, we just have to kind of press forward. But what if we slowed down and had compassion for somebody? And we said, you know what? I got a lot of things on my schedule. But you know what? I'm going to have compassion. We don't say that out loud because that would be weird. But we, we just took steps to love somebody in that moment. When, when we honor the values that he's given us, when, when we try to be present in each other's lives, when we try to serve, when we try to give, we try to connect and strive for excellence, all of those things point to his glory. When we live as a family of servant missionaries, with the goal of leading people to love him, love others, and invest in his kingdom, we can begin to show the compassion like he had compassion. So let's answer the question.
How can we have compassion like Jesus had compassion? That is when you can hit the slide. Perfect, thank you. This is me closing. Because I think what we hear in sermons like this is if we will just grit our teeth and work really hard and say more no's and say different yeses, then maybe we can have more compassion. And I, I don't think that's the case. Don't get me wrong, I, I do think there will be some, some no's in life. You and I probably say yes to a lot of things. We have more ability at our hands to, to, to be efficient, and yet we are the busiest people of all time. Because we don't ever say no. But are we saying yes to the things that matter? Are we saying yes to the furtherment and the betterment of God's kingdom? How can we begin to say the right yes and the right no? And I think the, the answer is this. We have to surrender to his ways. And we have to let go of ours. We have to surrender to his ways. And we have to let go of ours. The way that you want to do things, the way that I want to do things, may not always line up with the way that he would impress upon us to do things. He says this to John in 1 John 3.17. He says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother or sister in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? We're called to be a generous people. We're called to be a people who give more and spend less. When we say that phrase, joy buckets, and we do that thing, it isn't just to make all the new people go, what is going on in this church? It's because we believe that when we give, we give from a place of joy. If we're not giving from that place, we probably shouldn't be giving. We should hit our knees and surrender and say, you can have it all. Jesus, help me to give it all to you. Brand, you can come up. We need to give up our heart so that we can see what God has done and what God will do. Will you do that today? Let me pray. Lord, as we open your word and, and we see this, this picture of compassion for a, a woman who found herself in this situation that she thought there was no way out of. God, we may find ourselves in that same situation. We may not know a way out of this moment or that moment, or, or maybe we're sitting here listening to, to the proclamation of your word and we're finding that we're not experiencing this, this love and this compassion from you. God, will you reveal to us that all truth, all 
love always are through you and you only. Will you help us see that, that we, we, we're, we're sinners and we're separated from you? And the way back to your Father, the way back to peace and shalom and wholeness is through the blood that you shed on the cross. And when we turn from our sins, when we repent of our sins and we put our faith and our trust and we become a follower of you, in those moments we can receive the same compassion that you showed her, but in an abundant way. And from that place of abundance and compassion, we love others. God, would you call us to make that decision today? If there's anyone in the room that would like to make that decision today, Lord, well, I, I pray that you'll just spur their heart to find one of our staff, one of our elders, another follower in the room to have a conversation with so that they can come forward in proclamation, in declaration of who you are and what you've done. I thank you for who you are and what you will do. It's in your son's name I pray. And God's people said...